songs that we have been singing, the worship that we have had. We feel greatly blessed with the service thus far and thankful for the prayers that have been going up to heaven on our behalf. Blessed Redeemer, precious Redeemer, certainly those are descriptive words that describe very well how we feel about our Lord and Savior. He is in a class all by himself. There's none other that fit into that place of being a precious Redeemer, of being a blessed Redeemer. That's something none of us ever did, isn't it? No other man ever lived like Jesus. No other man ever talked like Jesus. No other man ever loved like Jesus. So it's truly we can say he's a blessed Redeemer. We can say he's a precious Redeemer this morning. If you have your Bibles, we'd like to turn to 1 Samuel. We'll get right into that. It's a rather lengthy passage of scripture. And uh, we'll be reading a good bit of that chapter, beginning at verse 17. Or, excuse me, chapter 17, beginning at verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered together their armies in battle, and were gathered together at Shoko, which belongeth to Judah, and pitched between Shoko and Azekah in Epizdamon. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by the valley of Elah, and set the battle in array against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on a mountain on one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side, and there was a valley between them. And there went out a champion of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. And he had an helmet of brass upon his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass. And he had greaves of brass upon his legs, and a target of brass between his shoulders. And the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and one bearing a shield went before him. And he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel and said unto them, Why are ye come to set your battle in array? Am not I a Philistine, and ye servants of Saul? Choose you a man for you, and let him come down to me. If he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then will we be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall ye be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Then Saul and all Israel heard those words of the Philistine. They were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now David was the son of that Ephrathite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse. And he had eight sons, and the man went among men for an old man in the days of Saul. And the three eldest sons of Jesse went and followed Saul to the battle. And the names of the three sons that went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, and next unto him Abinadab, and the third Shammah. And David was the youngest, and the three eldest followed Saul. But David went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. And the Philistine drew near morning and evening and presented himself forty days. And Jesse said unto David his son, Take now for thy brethren an ephah of this parched corn, and these ten loaves, and run to the camp of thy brethren. And carry these ten cheeses unto the captain of their thousand, and look how thy brethren fare, and take their pledge. 
Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah, fighting with the Philistines. And David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper and took and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the trench as the host was going forth to the fight and shouted for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had put the battle in array, army against army. And David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage and ran into the ar army and came and saluted his brethren. And as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion of the Philistines of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines and spake according to the same words, and David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have ye seen this man that is come up? Surely to defy Israel is he come up. And it shall be that when the, that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches and will give him his daughter and will make his father's house free in Israel. And David spake to the man that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine and taketh away the reproach of Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered, him after this manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man that killeth him. And Eliab, the eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left the, those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come down, that thou mightest see the battle. And David said, What have I now done? Is there not a cause? And he turned from him toward another, and spake after the same manner, and the people answered him again after the former manner. And when the words were heard which David spoke, they rehearsed them before Saul, and he sent for him. We're going to stop reading right there, at least for right now. Uh, I believe that there is a full lesson for us here. And I want to bring forth this lesson in the interest of the righteous cause. We'll use for our text that verse 29, which says, And David said, What have I now done? Is there not a cause? I believe that we have an interest in what goes on here, and I am concerned that we be a people of the righteous cause. I think that is very important. I think too often we lose a lot of time, we go through a lot of life without really having a cause. I think of a paper that was written by some of the brethren in years past, and it was called The Brethren's Reasons. The Brethren's Reasons. Do you have a reason, beloved? Do you have a cause? Do you have something that you can live for? Do you have something that you can die for? I believe that unless we have something that we can live and die for, our lives are basically empty. David had a cause. He had a righteous cause. And I believe that the church of, of Jesus Christ today has reasons. We have to pick them up. We have to find them. We have to be able to see it. And I hope that our eyes are not so closed, but what we can see, that there are many righteous causes today. There's many things that we can live for. But there's really only one thing that we can die for. People live for all kinds of different things and sometimes foolish things. I was, re I was uh, reminded of that as I saw an, an item in the newspaper that I'll share with you at this time. It says, activists, Mark's year in a redwood tree. 
You know, we are living in the days of activists. Activism. We hear a lot about activism. We hear about those that have a cause. And sometimes it seems like be, being a very foolish one, as in this case. Think of David's words, is there not a cause, as I read this to you. It says, logging protester Julia Hill has been up a tree literally for a year. Her tiny perch, 18 stories above the forest floor, has been her home since de December 10th when she left terra firma to live in the majestic redwood she calls Luna. When I climbed Luna, I gave my word to her, the forest and all people, that I would not allow my feet to touch ground until I felt I had done everything I can. I still feel there is more I can accomplish from this perch, she said Wednesday. Hill, 24 years of age, who calls herself Julia Butterfly, celebrates her first anniversary atop Luna today. She said her tree sitting is a protest in part against the government compromising away the health and quality of the environment. Now that's where her righteous cause was. This was an environmental issue. Hill, along with a number of Northern California environmental groups, opposes a 490 million state federal deal to purchase 10,000 acres of forest from Pacific Lumber Company, which is controlled by Texas financier Charles Hurwitz. The deal includes 3,000 acres of ancient redwoods in the nearby Headwaters Forest. The money was authorized jointly by the state and the federal governments. The property would be turned into a public preserve. Final approval of the deal is pending. Environmentalists believe the entire 66,000 acre Headwaters Forest complex should be covered by the deal. Luna is not in the Headwaters Forest, but is about 10 miles away on Pacific Lumberland. Hill discovered redwoods when she traveled west near a near-fatal car wreck after a near-fatal car wreck in 1996 led her to question her life as a bartender in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Through fog, seat, sleet, rain, snow, high winds, and even sunshine, Hill has been lodged nearly 200 feet up on a plywood platform about the size of a queen-size bed protected by a tarp. She uses a bucket for a toilet, takes only sponge baths, and relies on supplies ferried to her in the backpacks of Earth First members. What people won't do for a cause. We read about such things all the time. I'm sure that you are, you are very much aware of environmental issues. Folks, I love the Redwoods. I'm all for saving the redwoods. But that is not the righteous cause of the Christian. I maintain today that there are things that are of greater importance and of greater, greater values. There are some things that people pick up that I couldn't, I couldn't identify in any way. We have people uh, who have the righteous cause, uh, who has the cause of the spotted owl. I know of at least two sawmills that were closed because of the spotted owl and vast acreage of timber could no longer be harvested because of environmental issues that enter in concerning the saving of the habitat of the spotted owl. Uh, we right now are, are involved, and it's a hot issue, of the silvery minnow. Can you imagine closing down vast uh, watersheds and flows of water coming down through canals to, uh, to irrigate 
thousands and thousands of acres of field because of a little fish they call a silvery minnow. A silvery minnow never gets over about three or four inches long. That's as big as it ever gets. But right now there's, there's a, a heated issue that is going on in our courts concerning that of controlling the water that flows down the Rio Grande River so that the, the uh, silvery minnow can survive. Well now I suppose that we could still live without a silvery minnow, don't you think? There's also an issue about a, bronze, a brown spotted butterfly. And again, it has to, be, has to deal, deal with a forestry issue. Uh, the environmentals are striving to close down certain areas of valuable forest land because that's the only place that little brown butterfly lives and they're afraid that it's going to perish if they continue to uh, harvest forests. How about the grizzly bear? There's been environmental, environmental issues concerning that of the grizzly bear. You know, I think I could live all of my life without an encounter with a grizzly bear. And also a rattlesnake. In some places, they say that you can't go out and kill rattlesnakes anymore. And again, I think I could go through all of my life well, without uh, uh, making friends with the rattlesnakes. But I just mentioned this to show how passionate some people can become concerning that of a righteous cause. And I would desire that we as Christians can have that kind of passion towards the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that we need excitement about it. I believe that we, we need to be willing to sacrifice for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we have this lesson here concerning the young shepherd boy David. The young shepherd boy David was perhaps about the age and the size of some of you young brethren that are here today. And it seems as though he was not really appreciated. You know, one thing about having a righteous cause is sometimes we'll be misunderstood and we'll be, we'll, we will not be appreciated. We have here in the scripture that we, had, we read a, concerning that of a great giant of the Philistines. He was called the champion of the Philistines, Goliath of Gath. He had size, he had strength, he had a lot going for him. He had many things going for him. He had, he had power, he had muscles, and people were afraid of him. But you know it didn't matter with David how great the strength of the Philistine, Philistines were. The Philistines had culture. The Israelites didn't really have a whole lot of culture going for them, but the Philistines did. They were highly developed in culture. They were much more sophisticated in warfare. But here we have a, a giant that came out against the armies of Israel and says, why are you setting your battle in array? And I believe that he must have been foul-mouthed. I believe he shouted his insults after the armies of Israel. He abused them verbally in a terrible way, but it seems like it didn't faze David because he had a righteous cause. David didn't accept the challenge, we believe, to fight Goliath because he was good with a sling. Because he, it wasn't because he was a good marksman. It wasn't because that he was fast or anything like that. He simply did it in the name of the Lord because he had a righteous cause. And I believe that the, the cause of the church should be that same way. It's not because we feel that we can do such a great job. It's not because we have so many qualifications, but because we have a God whose name is holy. We have a God whose name we want to protect. We want to honor 
the, the, the precious name of Jesus and God's holy name. God's name was at stake as I understand this scripture here. You know, today the world mocks Christianity a little bit like Goliath was mocking the armies of Israel. It's a very similar situation. And what does the church do about it? Oftentimes I fear we sit back and we feel there's nothing we can do. And I would say today to the church, as David said, isn't there a righteous cause? Shouldn't the righteous cause create a stir within us? Shouldn't it make a chill go down our backbone when we feel that the name of our God is at stake? The name of our church is at stake? The cause of God's people is at stake? Yes, there is a righteous cause. God's great name is at stake. You know, King Saul seemed like he was powerless to do anything. Why was it? Because it says that an evil spirit had come upon him. He had lost his relationship with the Lord. It seemed as though Saul had started out as the monarch of Israel and had much going for him. He had the blessing of the Lord upon him. But he lost that because of his disobedience and because of his rebellion. And it was said that rebellion was as the sin of witchcraft. And I think that that's very important for us as a people to understand. That we, if we rebel against the Lord and against the righteous cause, the Bible looks at it as the same as witchcraft. Let's be careful about that. Saul looked at Goliath and he trembled. Saul was powerless because he didn't have the power of the Lord. And if we're, if we're to defend God's name and God's righteous cause, and incidentally, brethren and sisters, I believe that the name of, of God is defensible. I believe that what you believe in is defensible. You can defend it if you will. And I would like to challenge the church today to defend the righteous cause of Christ within us. King Saul looked at Goliath and he thought he was too big to fight. What did King Saul see? King Saul saw that armor. He saw that shield. He saw that helmet. He saw that spear. He saw the... Uh, the armor bearer and all of those things and King Saul trembled he had forgotten that he had a great God he had forgotten what God had done for his people at the Red Sea he had forgotten how God had fed a multitude in the wilderness and gave them manna from heaven and gave them abundance of water and caused their clothing that they would not wear out and that they would not become threadbare evidently he had forgotten many of these things Folks, we must not forget. We must not forget what God has done in the, with, with his people throughout history. Yes, Saul saw Goliath and thought that Goliath was too big to fight. You know what David saw must have been something different, though. David saw many of the, big, uh, of the same things. He saw the, the, the uh, greatness of that man, his large physique, his strength his armor and all of those things. He had opportunities to see the same thing as Saul did, but it was only a matter of difference of interpretation. He, interpreta he interpreted it a little bit different. I believe that as Saul thought that Goliath was too big to fight, David thought he was too big to miss. He couldn't help but, but uh, hit, hit him. So we would say today and challenge us, is there not a cause? I believe a cause is what we might say it makes us tick. It's something that motivates us. 
Do we, have motiv- do we have motivation, spiritual motivation? I know we get up and we go about our daily tasks and we are motivated to do those things. But what about the service of the Lord? How about uh, uh, defending God's holy name? It is defensible. Again, I would say that. Yes, it's what makes us tick, or as some people might say, it's what trips our trigger. Is that righteous cause? You know, we might differ somewhat with the theology of Martin Luther, but he did have a cause. He did have a cause. He had a righteous cause. I believe that when he nailed those 95 theses to the church door in Wittenberg, he realized that it might even cost him his life. He realized that it would probably be no doubt bring him some persecution. It would put him in disfavor of the, of the national church, Catholicism. But he says, here I stand, so help me God. I can do nothing else. I think we can learn from something from this. He, he believed that the just lived by faith, and that was a scripture that really took him away uh, from the uh, a, a church that was in power at that time. And so the Reformation was born. But I think that we can learn from the words that he spoke there, here I stand, so help me God. Here was a man that believed in something. Here was a man that had a righteous cause. Here was a man that was willing to lay his life upon the line for what he believed was right. You know, we're, we've just faced a new millennium. And the old millennium is behind us. The old century has passed away. But I believe as we, we face a new time, and these are exciting times in which to live, I almost think of, of the times that we, we're living in similar to that it was in the days of Queen Esther. That was an, an exciting time for the Jews to be a part of that, and especially Esther. And I think of Esther as she went before the king, not knowing whether she would live or whether she would die, but she was going to do what she had. She had a righteous cause. You know, she didn't have a whole lot of people on her side either. Mordecai, I guess, was about the only one her uncle, he stood by her. We might say, well, you know, I can't really speak out. I can't really do much because we are so small. You know, God is a God of small things in many ways. God is a God that can take a small boy's lunch and multiply it and feed 5,000 people. We have a great God, folks. And as we search out this lesson on is there not a cause, I think we need to remember that. If we take up the cause of God's holiness, the cause of God's righteousness, and the greatness of his name, we'll not be alone. We have a God that we serve that will certainly help us. So I would say as we begin a new millennium, there is a righteous cause before us. Much harm has been done to the name of Christ because too often we have not taken up that righteous cause. We have a situation where unborn children are being, being slain daily. Isn't that a righteous cause, brothers and sisters? Doesn't that do something to, to your spirit when you stop to think of innocent little babies being put to death because they're, simply because they're an inconvenience or for any other reason as far as that goes? If that doesn't do something to us as a church, to a people, I don't know what will. We have senseless slaughter of innocent children and unborn going on all the time. 
This certainly must be a cry that goes up into heaven, a smoke in the nostrils of God. We have unashamed open adultery going on. Unashamed immorality even in the White House. Is that not a righteous cause for us to speak out and cry out against? I have to think of the prophets of old. We need some of those prophets today like Elijah and Elisha that will cry out against the sins of the land, against the sins of their people. And cry out to heaven and let their voices be heard. How much is the voice of the church really being heard today? Remember I said that the, that the uh, church has suffered much. The church is being defamed today by the world. We have homosexuality that is even being condoned in high places. And hardly there is a cry against it any longer. I've made aware that the city of San Francisco will not do business with any company that will not endorse the city's position on gays. Is there not a cause? Can it be possible that we, a nation that was based upon Christian principles and where the Ten Commandments were put in offices in high places, no longer can they be put in schools and public places? Is there not a cause? I'm made aware that Hawaii and other states, even at this present time, are heading towards legislation that will, will, that will approve and condone same-sex marriages. Is there not a cause? We're made to realize that marriage is being looked down on more and more all the time. And I'm glad to see couples sitting here, parents and children. I think it's wonderful, but you know it scares me when I, when I stop to think of the trend that is taking place in our nation. Single parent families, the uh, 2000 census had some pretty shocking figures concerning the increase in single parent families. No longer is it considered important by a, a, a great number of people that there should be a father and a mother in a family. And that that father and mother should be married, actually married. We're finding more and more babies being born all the time out of wedlock and, and nobody blushes. There's no shame there anymore. Seldom do you, do you see any shame concerning things that God would call an abomination to him. Let's turn over to 1 Peter chapter 3 beginning at verse 14 says, but if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are you, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. Parents, do we realize today that we're very, we're very close to suffering for righteousness' sake simply because we stand for, for a home and a family? And we believe in a, a, a two-parent home. We believe that, that uh, parents should be married, that husbands and wives should be married. They shouldn't live together out of wedlock. I believe that we're very close to being, being uh, ridiculed and, and uh, being harmed in various ways because of this. But it says, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your heart, and be ready always to give an answer 
to every man that asketh you a reason. There's that word reason. Keep that in mind. Of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. This is a very timely verse for us to consider. It speaks about the reasons. We should be ready to give a reason for the hope that lieth within us. We need to be ready to give a reason for the position that we take in various things that become issues of our day. We need to be able to give a reason why we defend the family. We need to be able to give a scriptural reason why adultery is wrong, why immorality is wrong, why homosexuality is wrong and ungodly. It's a great blight upon our nation, brethren and sisters. A terrible blight upon our nation. The way things are going in the marriage relationship and the, and the uh, attitudes that people have upon it. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. I believe that this is a call for us to live pure and holy and upright lives as Christians. And give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason. I believe that timidity has, is out the window. You know, we have been such a non-resistant people. And don't, mis don't misunderstand. I believe in, in being non-resistant. But let's not carry it too far. Let's not become so non-resistant that our mouth never opens. Let's not become so non-resistant that we never have righteous indignation. I don't believe that Jesus did that. I don't believe that he would be pleased for us to become that non-resistant. That we can't speak out. I believe that there's, there's, there's come a time for speaking out. It's not a time for silence. But it's a time to defend God's holy cause. You'll not, you'll not always be appreciated. Let's turn back to our 1 Samuel chapter again. We find here when, when David came back to his brethren with the uh, gift of food from the father. It says that David spake to the men that stood by him. That's verse 26. He spake to the man that stood by him, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine and taketh away the reproach from Israel? You know, David was livid. I believe that he was angry. I believe that when he came down there into that valley of Elah and he saw those Philistines shouting insults, he heard Goliath no doubt, no doubt cursing them and cursing the name of his God. I believe that he was livid. I believe that he could not stand still. He could not be silent. For he says, For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living, living God? He was livid because a reproach had been brought upon his people. A reproach had been placed upon his God. And he was angry about that. He was a young person, but he was not ignorant. And I believe that we have a lot of fine young people right here in this congregation today. I believe that you're thinking young people. And I believe that, that God is going to use you if you will make that surrender to him. That you'll be able to defend the righteous cause of your God. 
And you'll, you'll be able to silence the enemy with words that are fitly spoken in due season. I believe that's one of the main ways that we defend a righteous cause. One of the main ways is that we, we know God's word. It's, it's, it's so imperative, beloved, that you know God's word. You that are young people, be students of God's word. You that are old people, be students of God's word. I know that you, I know that you have, but we must not get away from this. This is the only effective weapon. It is quick and powerful. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. You can use it in a mighty way. And we, we, I would say that my generation has not done what it should. I believe that we are lacking. And I hope that we can see a generation that is coming uh, that will uh, have, have greater power in being able to do this, defend that righteous cause. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him after this manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man that killeth him. And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. I think that is pretty sad there. That his oldest brother, the one that should have, should have known better, the one that should have led the way, did not do what he should have toward his, his younger brother that was livid and upset with what was going on. Eliab's anger was kindled against David and said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thy heart. What was going on here? David was not really appreciated as he should have been. He was not really recognized. And you know you may not get recognition if you defend God's righteous cause. If you do not defend the cause of the church, you may not get rec the recognition that you deserve. But don't hesitate. Bear with it and continue on, press on with what you know is right to do. We think of the things that are a part of what we might consider our Christian lifestyle. Can you defend it? Can you defend it? I trust that you can. I trust that you, that, that can become stronger and stronger within our church. That we will have people that can go out there and they can, they can explain why we do what we do. They can give that answer for the hope that lieth within them. This is so crucial. It's a, it's a critical hour, beloved, in which we live. I believe it's a critical hour that, that the church needs to take hold of. We, we need to rise up and, and uh, quit ourselves, as the Bible says, quit ourselves like men and take up this righteous cause. He was accused of being naughty. Eliab says, I know thy pride. I don't believe that pride entered into, into this situation. I don't think it had anything to do with it. He says, and I know the naughtiness of your heart. I know what's going on there. And he was falsely accused. He says, for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. You know what the problem was? As I see it, Eliab didn't have any passion. Eliab was defeated. And if it wasn't for David, I believe that the armies of Israel would have been defeated also. Is there not a cause? Beloved, we have a greater cause today than, than that of grizzly bears 
or redwood trees or rattlesnakes or anything like that. Those are causes and some of them have some merit. But none of them have the merit as that the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. The cause that God has saved your soul and he has, call, he has called you out of sin. He has set you apart. He has separated you from the world. And you have, you have the responsibility to defend that cause. It's a wonderful, it's a wonderful calling. It's a, it, uh, what the scripture calls the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I don't want any of you to go from this revival meeting discouraged. I know that maybe I've said some things in a little bit of a blunt way. I'm not that good with words. Sometimes it might come through harsh. But you know, a person who is in a situation like that I am in has to realize, and you have to realize, I may never be here again. I may never speak to a, a group like we have here. I, I, it's, it's not a matter, it's not really a question. We'll never meet as we have here. We'll never have the same people. We'll never have the same needs presented. But for those of you that are here and as you've come night after night after night, the theme that I want you to take with you is that you have a righteous cause and that your position with God is defensible. You can defend it. We know that, that violence fills our land. Corruption is a problem in government. Crime is on the streets. Many people today are, are fearful about going out and walking the streets in the, in the shadows of the evening or the nighttime hours. Many people have lost their lives because they have. And that will continue, no doubt, until the end. But a remnant will be saved. I, I'm not saying this morning that we're going to go out and turn the world upside down. I believe that probably that will not happen. But I believe that there's brands that can be plucked from the fire. And that's the calling of the church today, that we might see those brands, that we might be there at the right time, that we might be God's hands and his feet to pluck those brands from the burning. I would say that the strength of the church today is not in numbers, even though we appreciate seeing these seats mostly filled this morning. That is good, but that's not really where the strength is. The strength is not in buildings. It's not in facilities. It's not in things that we do in our own strength. It's not in programs that we have. It's not in our Sunday school. The strength of the church is defending that righteous cause because I believe that God will defend that, that person that does that. I believe that God will give strength I believe that God will give uh, honor to this situation. I think, in fact, I, th I feel so strongly about this and I have enough passion about it that I believe that un unless, that without a righteous cause, that a church has little future. Now that might sound pretty harsh, but I believe that that is true. Unless we follow, have the same cause that God has. Unless our interests come down the same pathway as the interests of God. Unless we weep for the things that God weeps for. And unless we rejoice in the things that God rejoices in. We have very little future as a church. But I believe that we do. And I think this is catching on. And I feel things as, as we 
uh, attend the services of the church and we go to general conference and we go to uh, different congregations. And I feel that there is, there, is a, there is a sound of a going in the mulberry tree, so, so to speak. A sound of a going in the mulberry tree. <coughs> Number 201 in our hymnal expresses that very beautifully. It says, I love thy kingdom, Lord, the house of thine abode. The church our blessed Redeemer saved with his own precious blood. I love thy church, O God, her walls before thee stand. Dear as the apple of thine eye, engraven on thine hand. Isn't that beautiful? Doesn't that express it so, so beautifully where we should be in our affection? It's become our custom over the years that when we have Thanksgiving, we gather in the family or whoever may be there to have a Thanksgiving dinner. And one thing that we do after we've all eaten our Thanksgiving dinner, we, we don't leave the table, we sit around the table. And someone starts and, and gives testimony of thanksgiving. It goes clear around the table. If it takes an hour, that's all of it. It's not something that is done quickly. I don't think you can do some of these things quickly. But I'll never forget one time we had some visitors there, and we were going around the table, and one of the young brothers that was there said something that we'll never forget. He says he was thankful for his church. And expressed how he loved his church. You know, we don't hear that a lot. Maybe we take it for granted too much. That we love the church. We love the kingdom of God. It goes on here and says, For her my tears shall fall. How long has it been, beloved, that your tears have fallen for the church and for God's kingdom? It says, For her my prayers ascend. Do we pray for the church as we should? Do we pray for the elderly in the church? Do we pray for the young people? Do we name them name by name? I believe God is well pleased when we do that. We become specifically, we become specific in our prayers, not in generalities. But we, you know, when you want to drive a nail, and there's a nail right here, you don't hammer all around that nail, do you? No, you hit the nail on the head. And I think that's the way we want to do in our praying. That we hit the nail on our head and we pray specifically. We pray for the leaders of the church. We pray for our elders, for our ministers, our deacons, our teachers, our song leaders. And each one that has a part as a member of the church. Yes, for her my tears shall fall, her, for her my prayers ascend. To her my cares and toils be given, till toils and cares shall end. Beloved, there's coming a time that you'll not be able to work in the church. You'll not be able to add anything to God's kingdom. When God call, uh, draws the curtain on time and timely things, and we are a part of eternity, that opportunity is going to be behind us. The opportunity that we have today to defend the ideals and the beliefs of God's word within the church is here today, but it might be gone tomorrow. It says, beyond my highest joy, I prize her heavenly ways. I th I'm thankful today for the heavenly ways of the church. I'm thankful for the high ideals that the church has, for her teachings, for her doctrines. And we need to be in defense of that. Those things are all defensible. You know, too often we've been guilty of just keeping them to ourselves and we, we uh, uh, draw them unto ourselves and don't feel like there's anything there that we can really defend. 
says her sweet communion, solemn vows, her hymns of love and praise. I love those things. I love the love feast that we had last night. And we need to voice these things one to another. We need to speak often of these things. It says, Jesus, thou friend divine, our Savior and our King. And I'm, I am happy that we can say that Jesus is the head of the church. He is the head of the body. Thy hand from every snare and foe shall great deliverance bring. Do you know where your deliverance comes from, brothers and sisters? Do you know where victory is found? You know that it's there at Calvary, it's there at the cross, it's through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that we have that victory. And it says, Thy hand from every snare and foe shall great deliverance bring. Sure as thy truth shall last, to Zion shall be given. The brightest glories earth can yield, and brighter bliss of heaven. Isn't that wonderful? Oh, that is so challenging as we think of these things. Folks, you don't have to live up a redwood tree. You have something better than that. 